What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 34 of the Sports Psych MDs. Sports Psych MDs podcast, three, four, three, four. Who's knocking at your door? Change. Change is knocking at the door, y'all. Yo, this pandemic's crazy. Yes, I, I had to take it there, man. But look, we got the remedy for you, okay? We got the remedy. We're going to talk about how to embrace change. Yeah. But first, we're going to tie this into the Last Dance docuseries that's going on right now. It's, everyone's talking about it. Phil Jackson, one of the best Dead coaches master. of all time. We're yes, going to break indeed. down his coaching philosophies, his steadiness. And we're going to bring his philosophies for embracing change, for adapting into what's going on right now. And how we, as individuals, as citizens, we can embrace these values in the current pandemic. And we can embrace change and overcome this. And ultimately, come out the other side better, as champions, as resilient, whatever you want to call it. Stories of resilience. And before the music cues, check out our YouTube page, at Sports Psych MDs. We're going to be uploading video clips of each episode up there, so check that out. That's hot. That's new. Speaking of what else is hot and new, we got something big in store. We are partnering with the Athletic Academy, which is, we'll get into that. We're going to have them on the podcast at some point soon but we are going to create a mental fitness program. How you like me now. And this one's specifically going to be for young athletes, but there's going to be more in store. We'll, we'll talk more about that in subsequent episodes. That's a little teaser. Hey, it's going to be fun. Hit it's the music. Bye bye all. Hope you guys enjoy and watch the last dance docu-series. I love you. Do, do you feel Episode number 34 with the Sports Psych MDs. We're back. How you doing, guys? What's going on? Yeah, we're here. Happy to be back. We're kind of getting in the groove a little bit now with this, the stay-at-home orders. And we got Last Dance going on, so we got a lot of content from that. We're going into stage two soon of this stay-at-home, so more things are going to start opening up. And I know other states have already opened up a lot. So I think we're going to try to combine talking about these themes in Last Dance with what's going to what's going to happen here in the near future what's already happening all right so let's let's introduce it maybe with a little bit more pizzazz pizzazz and, and cohesiveness because here here's the story even though it seems like this is all a disintegrated mess the major piece here is that like we're in the middle of a crisis we're in the middle of a pandemic and yes we have turned a corner yes we have made significant strides there's a light at the end of the tunnel yeah, the light's at the end of the tunnel, maybe, but um, we have a long way to go. Oh, and yeah. the way that we're going to get through this is we're going to have to learn how to embrace change. You know, that's, that's going to be, I think, a defining characteristic of, you know, this nation and I think nations across the world with, with regard to how we are able to recover from this, you know, it, it's going to be the degree to which we are all able to both individually and collectively embrace change. Yeah. Learning how to adapt, learning how to work together, learning how to do our part and play our role. And through all this, we need a good coach. The Bulls yeah. had a good coach. Michael Jordan Great had coach. a good coach. Maybe the best coach. coach. Yeah. I mean, probably um, I, I'd say in the modern era, the greatest professional sports 
coach uh, of all time. Like he just kind of embodies everything, you know, everything that that you want in a in a coach and you know in that type of figure. Um, and he created a system, right, uh, a culture, and and a community within uh, his teams that enabled long-standing success, right, uh, across many different what several eras mm-hmm. uh, personalities of, teams of, you know the nba and different personalities right different just sort of like social forces and political forces and all kinds of things man and 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 so the great thing about the phil jackson story the zen master uh and and obviously the influence that he had uh, on MJ, you know, to your point about The Last Dance and all the intrigue around this documentary, you know, is that we, we see a person who um, you know, came into a situation, you know, me and the Chicago Bulls, and he came into that situation, really what at first seemed like pretty difficult circumstances, right? Pretty conflicting uh, circumstances where there was a, you know, a great player, uh, probably the most talented player in the league, and uh, and and he was an MVP of the league at the time. He was a scoring champion. Uh, the team was built around him. He had a coach that loved him, mm-hmm. uh, that you know placed the ball in his hands at yeah. all times. Right? Jordan had a great situation. Phil Jackson was hired to replace Doug Collins to be a change agent and to actually change the entire. Uh, character of the team to transition it from being a team built around Jordan, right? Uh, to um, instead, or I would say a team built specifically for Jordan. For Jordan, right? To for a Jordan. team built around Jordan. There you go. That's yeah, exactly. That's a that's a yeah. That's the right way of of, of thinking about this. It, it was it it basically the transition became. It was a a group of guys that were playing together, right, in order to put each other right in the best positions for success, and uh, and that was the kind of team that um, that ultimately was able to become one of the greatest dynasties in sports history. And uh, there's so many different things going on within that that dynasty that I didn't even realize until this, this documentary came out or until I started reading playing for keeps. And like you mentioned, this was a volatile situation. Uh, Jerry Krause had just been hired recently as the GM. The owner took over the team a few years before that. Michael Jordan was on his, in his third year on his second coach. It was Doug Collins's, I believe first year as coach, they brought in Phil Jackson as an assistant initially. And Phil Jackson has a great story. Like you mentioned, very interesting guy kind of unheralded, went to college in North Dakota, ended up being a hell of a basketball player, not the most physically gifted individual, tall, real tall and lanky, um, very skinny, rail thin. Scrappy though. Scrappy, Scrappy. absolutely. Yeah. And that he, he earned his way playing for the New York Knicks, won two championships he did, in yeah. the NBA back way back in the day um, where he didn't make a whole lot of money playing in the NBA, but he's a champion. And then he get he transitions into coaching and kind of was shunned from the league early on because because of that Zen master influence he had. He was open and honest about how he 
child with marijuana and LSD. And he brought these Eastern philosophies in combination with these Native American philosophies together mm-hmm. into his coaching style. And that was totally different with, to what anyone was doing at the time. So he, he couldn't coach in the NBA initially. They, they, he was, he was like the black sheep. Yeah. He had, yeah. He, he had to cut his teeth in Puerto Rico and in the CBA for a few years before getting called up by uh, Jerry Krause, the GM of the bulls. That's right. I mean, and, and apparently, uh, you know, even as a player, he was considered a maverick, um, you know, which was, was pretty cool because, you know, to, to see him in that light as a player and then therefore able to connect with uh, players like, like Dennis Rodman, you know, who have kind of eccentric personalities mm-hmm. that are mavericks in their own right. Oh, he was a fellow long hair. Yeah, you know, with the facial back in the day in the NBA, no one really rocked the long hair and the facial hair. So no, especially great. for the New York Knicks, yeah, uh, you know, absolutely, man. And, and but it's great, and and you know, but but that part of him is what enabled him to really connect with the players on a personal level, mm-hmm. you know. And I think, you know, that like you said, that that made him unique. You know, he wasn't a a a company guy. Right. And I think the players knew that and they trusted him for that. Yeah. And we, we mentioned this with uh, Greg Popovich, the another probably right up there with Phil Jackson is one of the best coaches in professional sports. He really cares and is invested in getting to know each individual player and creating those bonds, not only on the court, but off the court. So Phil Jackson really, it was an example of this Eastern philosophy, this Native American philosophy, where the Eastern philosophy, the mindfulness, wanting to have everyone kind of be in the moment and embrace each other as individuals, as people, but also from the Native American aspect, really buy in as a tribe, there a you family. Go. A tribe. Absolutely. And he he tried, and this is important, this is what we like to do with our with our patients. He a lot of this could, you could translate to psychology and psychiatry as well is creating a common goal amongst his players with each individual player you come to you understand their purpose and see if you can create a shared purpose together so you're not just forcing your own goal down this player's throat you're coming to an understanding that's right yeah yeah a contract you know uh, a bond and you know that's something that kind of follows the relationship on and off the court Right. And that's the kind of, of trust that translates, particularly in those like, you know, those, those tough moments, you know, when a player really needs, you know, that extra bit of motivation, right, mm-hmm. to, to kind of push through. And they can look in, in their coach's eyes and, you know, and, and, and they, you know, they'll feel like, hey, they're, they're going to they have a friend. Yeah. They know me. They're they're They understand me as a human. I'm not just some stereotyped basketball player. Uh, this guy sees me as who I am. So I'm willing to to listen to them. I'm willing to play for him. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because you have to, you have to play for each other, right? It can't just be about, it can't just be about any individual success, right? It can't even really be be about like the organization's success, you know, whatever that means. Uh, it certainly can't be about money, Right. It has to be about something much bigger. And what happens is that thing, you know, that the thing that is bigger is what you guys have collectively built together, mm-hmm. right? Over yeah. the course of the season, through the playoffs, you know, the system that, you know, you guys have bought into, right? You guys have now 
you know, bonded together. You're connected now. I mean, it's, it's do or die. It's like, you know, here we are. Um, we've, we've come this far. You know, we've come this far. And, uh, you know, it's like there's no turning back now, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, I think, the edge that they had over their competitors. And we talked about this in the role players episode we did last week, where at the end of the day, if you're connected, you feel connected to your teammates and your coach, you might go that extra mile. You may stay in better shape in the offseason. You may go that extra mile to win, do the, the, do the dirty work to get that oh, yeah. win. Absolutely. When, when maybe, because a lot of these role players, not, not necessarily the alpha, but a lot of these role players don't have that internal drive necessarily as much as like an alpha like Michael Jordan. So they need that extra motivation from elsewhere. And what better way than feeling connected to your teammates and your coach to have extra fuel and motivation to win? And the one thing also Jackson was, Phil Jackson was a huge competitor. He was very demanding of his players. Same thing with Phil, uh, same thing with Greg Popovich. You learn to love them. They become family members. You become bonded to them, but you also expect everything out of them. You expect a lot in return. And it was a, it's a great yeah. symbiotic relationship. Mm-hmm. creates no it, it's it's great man and this is uh certainly an, an essential ingredient to being able to play together as one you know you know that's what you're trying to do you, you're, you're taking this group of, of guys you know from wherever right different backgrounds you know different ways of thinking different mm-hmm. personalities and you have to get them to to basically ha- you know commit to having one collective goal right and, yeah. and play together as one unit that's a tough task you know but this is this is the way this if you know this is if 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 it's going to happen right if you have to do this right if if you have to go through something like this this is the way that it's it's done right that's what Phil Jackson teaches us and and you know it it means so much to me right now right to think about Phil Jackson and you know and, and this this documentary and the things that I'm learning about the building of this dynasty is, you know, you think about what's happening in the world with this, this pandemic and, you know, what we're going through as a nation, you know, as a, as a group of different communities, we're definitely at a moment in history in which we're going to have to be willing to embrace change. Mm-hmm. Right. And work together and do our part. And work together and do our part because, you know, the, the, the narrative I've seen out here that has been somewhat concerning is, is this narrative that, you know, can't wait to go back to the way things were. You know, I just, I can't wait for this thing to end so, so we can go back, right? So we can have things back the way that they were. And I just, you know, even though it's a, it's a, it's a great, even though it's a great, uh, you know, sort of thing to to think about. It it it, it does provide some hope. It does provide some hope. Some you know some really positive emotions um, when we, we you know when we sort of like reminisce you know on the way things things used to be. But you know there are a lot of signs right now that we may we may not and and probably won't really go back right to the way things were that. That like that largely, at least for a, you know a while, things are probably going to to be different. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think 
in order for us all collectively to 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 really get through this, I think what what we have to to do really is is kind of take a lesson out of the page of you know Phil Jackson and uh, this this great Bulls dynasty in terms of how they were able to embrace change, right? By first accepting things for what they were, you know, for who they were, right? And then ultimately developing really a joy, right? With the experience of transitioning into this great dynasty that they ultimately became. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think we're going to have to do collectively as, as a community of people is really, you know, make this uh, more, in, you know, an effort uh, aimed at, you know, uh, at bringing joy, you know, and peace to the world and really embracing this moment, you know, this moment of change and, and all the things that are going to have to come with it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just want to build on the foundation of give you guys some more examples of what Phil Jackson did just to um, kind of cement, cement this. Cause I think, like you said, we're going to bring a lot of kind of what Phil Jackson brought to the table for the bulls. Currently what we can do as a society now moving forward in the pandemic, but he not only had to, to kind of get all these individuals, like you said, to work together as a team, but he also had to shelter them and be the middleman between upper management and the players. Yes, he Obviously, did. if you've been watching Last Dance, or you know anything about this Bulls dynasty, a lot of heat between the GM, Jerry Krause, and the players, especially Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. Due to the contracts, the trades, we talked about it last episode, a lot of emotions. So he had to play that middleman. He also had his own issues with Jerry Krause with regards to salary and, and the way he – uh, did things as a, as a GM. So mm-hmm. he had to play that middleman. He was a steady force. We're going to bring it back to the disc assessment. Definitely a steadiness guy, similar Always. to, to Scotty Pippen on the court, but in, overall as a, as a coach, he was a steady influencer. And, and that proved extremely valuable for someone like Michael Jordan to have Scotty Pippen, who was steady on the court, always reliable. And then Phil Jackson on the bench and practices being the middleman between him and upper management as another steady force. So that was huge. We mentioned, we mentioned he had these Eastern philosophies. You saw on the documentary, he had players doing yoga. That's a mindfulness exercise. There it is. Yeah. Wanting to get individuals to just take a step back and appreciate the moment and be in the moment and without judgment. All right. In our situations, we're here. We're gonna. We have these stay-at-home orders. We can't go into work. We have to work from home. Okay, that's fine. I'm gonna. I'm gonna embrace it and just be in embrace the moment it. and not yeah. not try to fight it. It's okay to be to be a little concerned, you know, to be worried, to to be vigilant, you know, uh, and ask questions. These. It's it's okay. Like, um, let's embrace this. You know, let's 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 try to understand this. Let's try to, you know, to be on one accord with this and, you know, let's, let's get through this together. That's going to be, that's the theme of this, this podcast. So I wanted to touch on Phil Jackson's, we mentioned the bonds he created. I want to touch real quickly on the bond he had with Scottie Pippen and we'll touch on the bonds he had with Rodman and Michael Jordan as well. Very each, all three of those individuals, extremely unique for Scottie Pippen. They mentioned or I don't know if they've even got to this yet, but in 1994 at Eastern Conference Finals, this was the year Michael Jordan was playing baseball. Scottie Pippen was the lead dog of that team. They made it all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah. So, and he was in the, I think he was in the top five MVP voting. One second left in a game against the Knicks. I think it might have been game 
three, he drew up a play for Tony Kukoc. Scottie Pippen refused to check back into the game. This was huge back in the day. Obviously, if this happened now, it'd be all over the news. They'd be talking yeah. about in first take for months. <laughs> your, your MVP type player refuses to go back in because you don't draw up a play for him. It's an alpha dog move. Yeah. That was an know. alpha dog move on, on Scotty's part. I mean, it was it, it was like a fake alpha dog. It was what you would expect. It was like a, a Kevin Durant move, actually, right? <laughs> it was it was it was sort of like one of these like, you know, I I am projecting like an alpha, but I'm not understanding that at the end of the day it's all about winning mm-hmm. like an alpha, right? Yep. So I need to be in the game. So what did he do in that situation? And he mentioned that he thought about one of his former coaching mentors, and he just allowed the players to handle in the locker room. He scolded Scotty in that moment, but then backed off, allowed the players to handle it. Bill Wellington, the center for the Bulls veteran guy, laid into Scotty. They settled it there in the locker room, kind of minimized the impact of that in the future. That event right there could have been catastrophic for Scotty Pippen, especially specifically for that Bulls team, and the coach could have fractured all those relationships. Instead yeah. of Phil kind of stepping in and trying to make it right, he allowed the teammates, the players, his his teammates, Scottie Pippen's teammates, to repair that that damage. And guess what happened? They didn't win that series, but he stayed, continued to play with them, and they had another three-peat when, when Michael Jordan came back and he Scottie transitioned back into his role. And those players welcomed him back. Things were fine. So in that situation, Phil Jackson had, he practiced mindfulness. He took a step back and realized in that moment, it's, it'd be best to let the team handle that situation. It worked out well. Fast forward to 97, 98, when Scotty and Jerry Krause, the GM, the management, it, it, it came to a head. He delayed his surgery. He sat out, had the surgery during the season. Couldn't play to start the season. There's stories about him getting wasted on the bus trips and ripping into Jerry Krause. And unlike Michael Jordan, who could always toe the line and control his emotions at the last moment, Scotty didn't have that same ability. So he would cross the line oftentimes. So Mm -hmm. at this point, Phil Jackson stepped in being mindful in that moment and convinced Pippen not to travel with the team at this time because he didn't want him away from Jerry Krause. Can't tell the GM to not travel with the team, which they tried to do. And another story to this is not a lot of GMs actually travel with the the players on the buses. For some reason, Jerry Krause enjoyed doing that. He he, he tried to be one of the boys, even though he he never could, (laughs) but he, Phil Jackson took him aside, told him to take a step back. He laid out all the consequences of Scottie Pippen's actions right now. Do you really want to get traded? And he reminded him of what they agreed to. He reminded him, you signed this contract. You have won five championships with us. You've won five championships with the Bulls, playing alongside these same teammates. So in that moment, he took a moment of mindfulness, told Scottie to take a step back, get back to the basics, which is basketball. And be grateful. You love this game. You love winning championships with the Chicago Bulls. And that is what ultimately made Scotty, because Scotty demanded a trade that season. He said, I'm not, I'm not going to put on a Bulls uniform ever again. But after this conversation with Phil Jackson, after getting back to being mindful and having gratitude, guess what? He's back with the Bulls. Yeah, man. And, and the rest you know, is history. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, speaking of gratitude, you know, I, I think part of that exchange between the two of them involved not only Phil reminding Scotty of, of who he was, but also what he meant to the team, right? Like, it's like, we need you, mm-hmm. right? That's what that conversation was about. 
We, we need you. And that's such an important conversation, particularly for a player like Scottie Pippen to, to, to have, you know? Yeah. yeah Especially at a time like that. Exactly. Everybody wants to feel needed and desired. And in that moment, Phil Jackson pretty much told him that. So you go from Scottie Pippen to Dennis Rodman. They bring in Dennis Rodman to take part of the, these last three championships. And that was a controversial um, free agent acquisition. We <laughs> talked about it before last episode, but yeah, no, it was, it was very controversial. <laughs> I mean, it was, let's be honest. I mean, like this guy, you know, he was everything that the NBA didn't, didn't want to be associated with. Even at this, at this point in, in history, I mean, the NBA was really trying to reshape its image. And ironically, Michael Jordan was a big part of that. You know, he yeah. was a very clean cut guy, you know, had for the most part a pristine image until the whole kind of gambling, you know, situation uh, in the mid nineties. But yeah, I mean, you know, it, 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 it was a, a, a total pivot for that organization. Yeah. This Rodman's obviously Rodman was a champion, won two championships with the Pistons beat the Bulls. Um, but he's, he was coming off a year where he, he gave up, he quit with the Spurs the year before. Um, but they bring him in and in a large part to Phil Jackson, obviously Michael Jordan played a role in this as well, but he brought in and Phil mentions this on the docu-series. He said, or Rodman actually said this, Phil re- realized I was different. And Phil yeah. Phil called him uh, Hioka, which is a, uh, a Native American tribe's name for that signifies a backwards walking person. Yeah, no. And, and you could tell that that meant a lot to Dennis because he recognized that, you know, that he wanted to accept him he sees for who him. he was. Exactly. For who he was. So he wasn't trying to change him. You know, he didn't bring him onto the team to say, all right, Dennis, we need you to be this kind of guy, right? We need you to, to fit in this kind of way. He said, look, we want you just the way you are. Right. Mm-hmm. And we're going to work with that. And and they needed him the most in that last season, in that 97, 98 season when Scotty was out. Rodman became the number two guy. Michael Jordan's right-hand man. And he led the league that year, 15 rebounds game. And in large part to what Phil Jackson, because he bought in, he, he trusted Phil Jackson, but he also trusted Michael Jordan. Let's not forget that. Michael Jordan buttered him up all the way. Michael Jordan told him, we need you. We need you to step up. And guess what he did? He did step up. He had a slow start to the season. MJ talked to him and the rest is history. And they talked about, they allowed him and Phil Jackson, Michael Jordan and Phil Jackson got Dennis Rodman in a room and they allowed him to go to Vegas for a weekend during the middle of the season because they knew they they trusted him. Guess what? He went to Vegas. He came back and he was still beating all the players in wind sprints. Yep. So this is that bond. This is that understanding that the that Phil Jackson kind of that kind of permeated out of Phil Jackson and, and Michael Jordan. Obviously, said he would never play for another coach. So we don't like that relationship was huge. And I don't know if you want to touch on the relationship Phil Jackson had with Michael Jordan because it's it's different with with an alpha. Oh yeah, God, yeah. We we've, we've talked about that you know a few times you know in other episodes. Um, just how very different that relationship is um, and really how different it has to be in order to work. And, and yeah, I mean, we're talking about kind of the Brady Belichick of professional basketball, right? Like we're talking about the greatest minds on both sides, you know, uh, the coaching and performance side, you know, together. Right. 
uh, perhaps even the greatest role player all collectively yeah. together. You know, There's so much more intimacy in basketball though. We touched on it a little bit last uh, episode, but when it comes yeah. to like, and you mentioned that these two NFL guys and, and the NBA, the NBA is just so little players. It's just 17 guys on a roster versus 53 man. And, and one, and like just a handful of coaches versus, I don't know how many coaches are on an NFL team. Yeah. So I like that comparison, but I think basketball is just another level. These bonds that you have to create as a coach. Oh, no, I, I don't, basketball. I don't disagree with that at all. No, I mean, that, that's absolutely the case. And in fact, um, I was going to, I was going to add that, you know, even though I draw that comparison in terms of, you know, greatest to greatest, it's like, you're right. It's just a different scale. It's a, it's a different scale. It's a different measure. So therefore very hard to compare. And, you know, one thing you love about, about Phil Jackson, which is a, a completely different extension of his legacy is that he was able to take his system, apply it to a completely different brand with the Los Angeles Lakers and, you know, be, you know, arguably just as successful. So, yeah. Yeah, he did it with the the three P in the early '90s with the Bulls, with the Horace Grants and the B.J. Armstrongs and the Paxons, and then another three P with the Dennis Rodmans and the Steve Kerrs and the Tony Kukoches, and then he goes on and does does it with Shaq and Kobe, two alphas this time, totally different di- dynamics out in Los Angeles, totally different, and then continues on and does it with just Kobe and a, a bunch of role players. Mm-hmm. So this. Yeah. And, 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 and what's interesting is like those, the, the, the uniforms change, you know, the vibe change, the culture change, you know, times change. But one thing always stayed the same, man. That was a guy on the sideline. Like Phil was always Phil, you know, he was just a very steady force, yeah. as you know, to your point earlier. And that was so important mm-hmm. for a player like Michael Jordan, right, uh, to have a stabilizing, steady force right behind him, right? Because Jordan was uh, a true alpha dominant, alpha male, you know, figure uh, and, um, you know, larger than life, right? In so many ways. By the time uh, of the last dance, you know, we're talking about 97, 98, Jordan had really ascended uh, in such a way, not just in terms of the basketball landscape, but just the, the the entire globe, you know, the entire global community, um, into this literally larger than life figure. Um, he had a legendary brand. He was universally known, and he he was universally known for for winning, right? Yeah. For for winning and and for excellence and for you know just dominance and you know for things like being able to fly, you know. Yeah, he, he, and he maintained that persona despite the struggles towards the end of that first three-peat where the media was trying to tear him down about the gambling, he, he retires and goes, plays baseball and gets humbled. Yeah. Doesn't do well at all in that takes two years off. And despite all that comes back and gets another three-peat and re- continues to be at the top of yeah. the pa- pantheon of celebrity. Yeah. I mean, and w- when you're that kind of figure and you have so much going on around you, uh, so much chaos, really. It's so important to be able to have a stabilizing force behind you, a home, holding a, environment, a community. Yeah, that you you can rely upon, right? That's reliable. It's that um, safety net. It's that holding environment we've touched on so many times. When you have that anchor there, 
then yeah. you can just do, you can just focus. You can have blinders on and focus on, on your goal, on your task at hand. That was the beauty about Michael Jordan, that singular driven focus when at all costs. And he didn't have to worry about all these other things. The steadiness of Phil Jackson and Scottie Pippen on the court, those were his anchors. Those were the people he could rely on. Yeah. And so when you, when you think about like kind of the bigger story, the, the kind of story behind the story, uh, and, and the glory behind that dynasty, it all starts with the notion of embracing change, right? Because that's how Phil Jackson came into this team and, and he created a completely different style of offense, as we talked about earlier. He took right? the ball out of Michael Jordan's hands, but took my MJ bought yeah. in. Well, he bought in, and he bought in because... Ultimately, he realized, he had to realize, actually, because of what happened that first year in the playoffs that Phil was head coach when they lost to the Pistons, right? He had to learn through that experience, that adversity, that he had to change in order to win at the highest level. He could not continue to be the same kind of player. Yes, he was an MVP, Yes, he was a scoring champion. You know, yes, he had guys like Larry Bird and Magic Johnson and even Isaiah Thomas, you know, at the time, really, you know, referring to him as this exalted figure, right? Like what he didn't understand was that's that's not what that team needed in order to win, what the team needed, right, in order to win. They needed a leader. They needed a leader, and he had to learn that. And what's really interesting about this, um, what we're learning, and and I've taken away, and I've kind of pieced together, because I was a kid around that time in the 80s and 90s, and I remember, you know, Jordan's prominence. But what I also remember, and I don't know if a lot of other people do, um, is that some of the things that guys like Bird and Magic were saying at the time to glorify Michael Jordan, you know, saying that can we, he yeah, was like God on the court. Hold on, hold on. You don't saying see that, that nowadays. God in the court, right? I mean, these are these are legendary Hall of Fame bound players saying there's a guy looks like God on, on the court that are still Listen, vying for championships that are still winning. But what what I think some people may not realize is that some of it was actually gamesmanship, right? Because they wanted him to think that. They wanted him to believe that. They wanted him to be the guy that was always trying to do it himself because they knew what he didn't know yet, which is that it was going to take the team, right? A team effort in order to win. So I think they were happy to feed his ego. Mm-hmm. And I think for many years it actually worked. There's a reason why he scored, what, 63 playoff record, but they lost? Exactly. You know, that didn't, that didn't happen by chance. Um, you know, and, and that, I think they realized that it was a kind of a psychological warfare they had to play and no, no one did it, I guess, better than the the Detroit Pistons. It is beautiful to see that, uh, MJ magic and bird and that 90, 1992 dream team, they have such a good relationship and how they're, they speak of him on this documentary. It's, it's great to see these guys who were fierce competitors on the court, um, be able to, to respect each other. Yeah. Yeah, but I'll tell you what, man, there's nothing greater than a resilient story. You know, 
there's nothing greater and nothing sweeter than a story where, you know, see a guy, you know, or a group of guys, a team, you know, um, or, you know, a community of people kind of start off in, in this one particular place uh, with only a, a dream, you know, a vision of what their future could be. And then, you know, putting in the work to go through the process of ultimately accomplishing, you know, their goals and, you know, achieving those dreams and, and that, that, that vision, you know, becoming a reality. Making it's beautiful. sacrifices to reach exactly. your ultimate goal. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, and, and this is, um, this is what we see. This is what this documentary is really, is really showing us is how this thing all just kind of came together. It was just various pieces, you know, it was timing, um, you know, it was just many different forces coming together at the, at the right time, uh, in the right place. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the beauty of this, yes, it took so much effort to, to overcome the Pistons, to overcome Magic Johnson in that first finals win, to win that first three-peat, and to overcome all the controversy with the gambling. And But the beauty of it is, and that's what this last dance is all about, is that last season, to weather that storm in that second three-peat, and to overcome all this chaos, like you mentioned, and still come out as champions, still come out of it with a second three-peat. It's, it's unreal, actually. Yeah, but, but you have to understand, right, that, that it's all about the process. All about the process. Yes, what happened down, down the road was unreal, right? It became unreal. It, be, it took on a life of its own eventually. But there was this process that had to play out. It ha- these things had to happen the way they did in order to get to that point, for example, where Michael Jordan was this supreme leader, right? This guy that, you know, could, could really, you know, just take anybody, you know, and just will that team to victory, mm-hmm. you know? And, and it all started, like I say, with that loss, going back to the documentary, that, that loss to the, the Pistons, um, where they, I feel like, you know, they felt like they should have won, you know, they, they, they took them to seven and it's like, they feel like they knew they could have had them and, you know, it just didn't come together. The Scotty Pippen migraine game. The Scotty Pippen migraine game, man. And in that off season, what did they do? Right? What did they do that off season they had never done before? They changed. They changed. They uh, canceled their vacation plans and they got in the gym and they got to work and they worked all off season. Michael Jordan himself talks about how he put on about 20 pounds of solid muscle, right? Because he was like, I realized that I was taking too much punishment. That's how, you know, teams like the Pistons were beating me was they were getting too physical. I wanted to be the one to deliver the punishment. And he did exactly that. He got in the weight room and he's, you know, the, the, you know they, they interviewed his teammates and they said, look, when you see the best player on your team, you know, you know, the smartest guy in the room, you know, whatever it is, when you see that guy working hard in practice, right, like putting his all, his or her all into what's, what's going on, what's going on, like it can't, you can't help but be motivated by that, right? You can't help but be inspired. And um, that was very powerful because what you saw was the transformation 
to a leader, you know, from a great basketball talent, a great basketball player to a leader, right? Someone that wasn't just transcendent in terms of his performance, right, but also his leadership, right, in his, in his, in his ability to motivate his team and, and will them to victory. That's, that's beautifully said. I couldn't have said it better myself because those efforts are what led him to becoming a champion that next yeah. season that led him, Phil Jackson, Scottie Pippen, all the players to becoming champions. And not only that, that's in the short term. So they end up winning three championships. But then the confidence starts building, obviously, when you become a champion. But at the end of the day, the most, the most important thing that was developed through that process that you mentioned, that we talk about ad nauseum, that is something that can be cultivated was building resilience. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what Michael Jordan did. The Chicago Bulls did Scottie Pippen, Phil Jackson did by overcoming those hurdles, winning those first three championships. And that resilience is the reason why they were able to win three more in the late nineties amongst all that chaos, all that chaos. They did it before they had the confidence. They had the ability. They had that resilience. They built it up through all those practices. Yeah. You know, and we talked about resilience several times on on this podcast uh, in several episodes. You know, I'm, I'm not sure to what extent we fully defined what resilience really means conceptually, and I think in I think the best way to do that is to look at resilience as a balance of two forces, right? Um, but that balance of forces being a force in and of itself. Therefore, it's really three forces coming together in unison to create, you know, an overall synergy. And I would say those two forces that have to be balanced are flexibility and reliability, right? And these two forces are balanced by adaptability. But adaptability is something that has to be created, you know, in the system through uh, that balance of flexibility and reliable practice mm-hmm. over time, right? When those, when those things happen over time, it, you know, the, the system becomes adaptive. Yep. And, and everyone is born with different capacities to become resilient, but resilience is something that anyone can build. For some people, easier than others. For people who have strong holding environments, those safety nets, those anchors, to rely on for comfort and stability and reliability. It may be easier to build resilience, but you can still build resilience, like you said, by balancing those two factors. And ultimately it, it requires you to overcome challenges. Well, yeah, I mean, when you have uh, a, a resilient practice, a resilient system, right? You can overcome challenges in ways that you know, you, you, you never could have, have done otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really what the story of, of Phil Jackson, you know, and, and uh, as a coach and the systems that, that he created in performance, that's really, you know, the, the story there. Um, and I think, you know, again, this is a story uh, that can be applied uh, to so many different types of, of systems and different mm-hmm. types of, of experiences, you know, and, and I see this as being, you know, a strategy that will need to be considered in a major way for our present circumstances. Yeah. 
I think ultimately how I think of building and cultivating resilience, I think of the simple steps of practicing mindfulness, practicing gratitude Absolutely. through those practices, developing confidence in who you are as an individual in your abilities. And then through that confidence, you then push yourself to overcome challenges, knowing that if you fail or you don't succeed as you thought you would, that you can always go back to those mindfulness and gratitude practices to then kind of cultivate more confidence and learn what you need to learn in order to achieve the goal you want to achieve in order to accomplish or get through that challenge. And that is ultimately how you develop resilience. That is resilience. It is resilience. And, you know, and, and with mindfulness, um, you get a couple of really good things. You get to stay in the moment, right? Mindfulness being mindful keeps you in the moment. It, it, it enables you to develop this, this kind of, of control of your space, right? And control of, you know, kind of how you're negotiating, you know, time that you're, you're not getting too far ahead of yourself. You're not dwelling on the past, right? What you're doing is you're focused, you know, you're focused on essentially what's right in front of you and the things that you have to do right now in order to take the best next step. Mm -hmm. That's, that's what it's all about, you know? And when that comes into play is we all, we all get under these emotional states, these negative emotional states that just take over. And we just start acting on complete emotion, whether it's anger, guilt, shame, or excitement. You do things that aren't necessarily rational or in your best interest when you're in a high emotional state. So the goal of mindfulness is to take back control over the emotion. And how you do that is allowing the emotion and sitting with that emotion and not judging it and not trying to fight it, but kind of riding the wave. And that is how you develop control, more, more control over your emotional state. And when you're in a more rational mindset, you're in that wise mind. If I can borrow something from dialectical behavioral therapy, you're more likely to be able to accomplish your goals because you're seeing, you're seeing is more clear. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, mindfulness is something that has to be practiced. You know, it's not, it's not something you kind of just do every now and then, you know, or, or that you just kind of, you know, once in a blue moon, um, you think about, it's really an everyday, you know, ritual Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And to just kind of take one more piece, right, from this, this great Last Dance documentary. um, I, I, what I remember as a philosophy that defined that 1991 season that they went into, right, with Jordan and company emerging, you know, as this like force, right, coming into the league with fury, right, and claiming their first championship. What I saw that was different was they developed an everyday drive, right? We're coming here to win every night, every night. Like it's not like we're not, we don't, you know, it's not, we're not going like five out of 10 on this practice because it's, you know, a Friday and we want to get to the club. Like, listen, every day, every mm-hmm. night, we don't, we're not leaving the gym. We're not leaving until the job is done. Oh, hell yeah. When Michael Jordan stepped on the court, he set that tone. 
whether it was an all-star game, a pickup game, yeah. just like Kobe Bryant would say, like when I step on the basketball court, I'm playing basketball, I'm going full tilt. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and that's what you have to be about with this mindfulness thing, right? It's gotta be something that you're, and that's, I think where people get it twisted. It's like, you know, you can't just snap into mindfulness. I mean, you can, but it, it, it's a, something you really have to get better at and get good at yeah. and have an everyday drive with. Michael, like just when Michael Jordan joined, um, after that year and a half layoff, he joined later in the season. He couldn't like, he wasn't going to come in and save the day right away. Cause he, he'd been not playing basketball for a year and a half. So just like if the greatest basketball player of all time can't win a championship by jumping in three quarters of the way through the season after being out for a year and a half and can't win a championship, then you can't expect to just all of a sudden just start doing mindfulness right there in the moment and expecting it to work. You have, this is something you have to practice daily, yeah. like Armin said. Yeah. And you have to love it. I mean, let's be honest, right? You have to love what you do. You have to, whatever it is you're, you're doing, you have to be focused on and committed to. You have to be passionate about it. You, you know, it, it's, it has to create positive energy, a positive experience, something that, you know what I mean? Like positive you, reinforcement. You want to get up and do. I mean, you know, it's going to be really hard for, for anyone to develop a, a, you know, a reliable habit around something that they really just don't love. They don't really, they don't enjoy. But let's not fool people. You're not going to just start doing mindfulness right away and start loving it. But if you've ever done a yoga class, if you've ever done meditation, which are mindfulness practices, at the end of those practices, they always give you a moment in Shavasana, corpse pose, to lay down and just take stock of what just happened. Feel your body, feel the rewards that you just had from that. If you do meditation, do 10 minutes of that. They tell you at the end, just take a, just notice how you feel right now. And oftentimes you feel lighter, you feel brighter. So that, there's that positive reinforcement. But you're oh, yeah. really going to start getting the rewards if you stick with it daily. Yeah. Oh yeah, man. I mean, if you think about, you know, some of the, the guys that play with Jordan, when they described those practices, I mean, you know, you could tell like, you know, it wasn't like they were overjoyed, you know, to be, you know, working out till 10 o'clock at night, you know, that's not what it was, you know, it's not like, you know, it's a, it's pleasurable to go through it all the time, right? But the reward is more in the recognition, right, of getting better and understanding that right? It's, it's you're focused on, you're focused, right? On this goal. It's a singular goal. And again, you're in the moment. So you're in the moment. So you're, you're only focused on what you have to do to get closer to that goal to get better, you know? And that's what you're deriving pleasure from, particularly when you, you're doing all of this, right? In the setting of gratitude, right? Mm-hmm. When you are integrating, when you have integrated fully and holistically this notion of gratitude and understood all the benefits of that, which Phil Jackson clearly did. Yeah. So let me, let me ask you this, because I know you want to transition and talking about how we can take all these things we talked about, all these things Phil Jackson brought to the Chicago Bulls into what we can do as a society currently in this pandemic. So my question for you would be, some people may say it's easy for Scotty Pippen or Michael Jordan, or uh, Steve Kerr to buy into practicing mindfulness, to buy into to gratitude, because I'm playing in the NBA, I'm making millions of dollars, I'm on a winning team, I'm playing with the best player in the world. It may be easier to buy into these things because you, you, you know that the rewards are coming. You're already in a better position if you're 
professional basketball player than most people in society, at least financially. So what about us? What about just, just Joe Schmo or, or anyone like how, how do they buy in? What's the benefit for them? I mean, we talked about all the possible benefits, but it's going to be a little bit more difficult to buy in. Yeah. Well, I mean, yes and no. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, I think it really, uh, starts with defining what's important to you, right. As an individual. And I think, uh, this is, is that a smarter goal? Shout out. This speaks to the greatness of, you know, one of, uh, our great former presidents of the United States, Barack Obama. And, you know, and many of the things that I think he was able to articulate, so well is this notion of, you know, uh, humanity, Americans, there are certain core values, you know, certain things that we all share, we all have in common, and therefore we can all find common ground with, right? And I think that it starts there. I think that we have to recognize that uh, even if us, you know, even if we ourselves are immune from the, in this case, the infection, right? The the uh, the virus, or yeah, or, or we're young, um, or, or not we're young, we might not. If die we're not vulnerable, exactly. Any of these things um, that, while we may be okay, while we may be protected, um, that you know we have family members that are close to us that we love, like grandparents, parents, uh, people around us who have chronic illnesses, you know, like. Dr. Eunice spoke about so beautifully during our previous episodes. We have to understand that it's it's not just about us. We take a, you know, if you think about what's really resonated through and through with this great basketball story is it comes back to the team, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and what you define in your life, wherever you may be, wherever you may be listening right now as your team, right? This is your your inner circle, your family, you know, your your friends, your community, you know, the things that you love, right? All of these things are that are important to you are things that can be impacted by your decisions as it relates to this pandemic. Absolutely. So it's, this is the opportunity you're like we we need to create a common goal, uh, a shared purpose like Phil Jackson spoke of and unity ultimately, which I don't want to take this in too much of a political direction. We currently do have a president that is very divisive. You can ask anybody about that. But in this situation, I think it goes beyond bipartisanship. We need unity. We need to create a shared purpose, a common goal in order to, to move forward, in order to not necessarily get back to a new normal. Like you mentioned, we're not going back in time. We're not going to, it's not going to go back exactly to how it used to be, but to progress through these stages to, to, in order for people to get back to work in order for people to, to feel empowered as citizens of this country. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. It's, um, it, it's funny. Uh, you mentioned Trump and, and yeah, I mean, it's, um, there have been a lot of leadership challenges that we've seen throughout this whole process, you know, starting from decisions that were made early on uh, about how seriously we were going to take the information that we had related to, to this pandemic. And, and then, you know, 
the the willingness for all uh, of the governors to get on the same accord related to social distancing and all of that. I mean, we've just seen a lot of this. Um, and yet, what I what I will say is this: I consider this uh, this recent, I guess, decision on the part of the White House to decentralize right the operations related to how we're going to deal with the recovery process with the pandemic, right? To basically leave the uh, the decisions in the hands of the uh, state and local governments. I actually see that as being a call to action, right? A call to action because I don't, I, I actually, I think this is a great opportunity. Mm-hmm. I see this as a great opportunity. I think this is an opportunity for the, the communities, right? From the, at the grass roots level across this nation to come together arm in arm, right? Create a, a system, a collective system, right? That takes all the different peoples into consideration and, you know, creates a plan that works and that, um, you know, hopefully, you know, binds us all together and, um, as you said, unites us to, to, to get through this tragedy, um, you know, as one, mm-hmm. as one people. To limit as much casualties, um, work-related or life-related as possible. And I think it's important that it was decentralized because New York City deals with a lot more obstacles than, say, uh, Des Moines, Iowa, or any other city that's out in the middle of a country. And L.A. Has, is going to have a different plan than Florida has. So even though each state, each county may have different kind of rollout plans, mm-hmm. I think yeah. at the end of the day, we all have this, this same goal of trying to get through this and to have some sort of normalcy, um, whether <laughs> however that looks like in the end right. to, to try to, no one, as much as people clamor on or ride in the streets, no one wants innocent individuals, vulnerable individuals to die. Just like no one wants people to lose their jobs and not be able to put food on the table. No one wants this. Our common goal is to get through this so people can get back to work and people can live healthy lives. Yeah, man. And, and what, you're, what you're speaking to is this balancing act, right? This, this balance of forces that we're, we're really going to have to strike between uh, having policies and protocols that are consistent, right? That are, are sort of uniform, that in which we all can agree on and and all adhere to, right? But while also being flexible enough to understand the the dynamics of different cities, mm-hmm. right, and different communities, and that there are going to be different needs depending on where in you the are. dynamics of this virus and the fact that there may be more outbreaks and the rollout stages may have to be changed and stay at home orders may have to be extended or you may not be able to go to a restaurant at full capacity for another few months. And the flexibility is, is desperately needed. Ultimately, everyone, we all, we all can have resilience in this situation. We can all practice gratitude. We all can practice mindfulness and we can all be com- become confident that we're going to get through this. We're going to, I mean, obviously we're speaking from a point of view of, of slightly privileged point of view, because we both still have our jobs. We can do our jobs completely from home. So that goes without saying, but everyone, everyone's resilient. We, and we can get through this as a nation and it's, no, we, it's start, we, will. we have to, it starts at the County level and it starts in the to. grassroots, like you mentioned. Absolutely. And, um, yeah. And, you know, I, um, 
I I think when you talk about where it starts. Well, it starts um, here. It, it starts, starts with, inside you, right here. Yeah, no, I I agree with that completely. And um, I think with that, I will say that with you know the leadership, um, hopefully they are leading with their hearts, um, with uh, open minds, and also with open spirits, you know, ready to embrace change. And, uh, you know, hopefully coming at this new set of problems, you know, like the Zen master, right, mm -hmm. with a system of change, yep. right, a system of resilience, ready to embrace this, uh, you know, th these changing times and uh, a system, hopefully, that is both uh, flexible and uh, but reliable, uh, reliable mm -hmm. and, and with consistency and one that can withstand the test of time, um, you know, and ultimately adapt, right? One that enables us to adapt and to move forward in a way that where we can all really, you know, develop a passion again, you know, mm -hmm. a passion for life. And become yeah. champions. Exactly. Yep. So hopefully we're going to continue to bring this podcast to you guys. We want this to be a source of consistency and reliability and we want, we just want to continue the conversation and end the stigma do you feel